Welcome to the Film Comment Podcast. I'm Clinton Crute. And I'm Devika Girish. We're the editors of Film Comment. In his Cannes 2022 dispatch, Jonathan Romney wrote, Jerzy Skolomowski's EO is a flamboyant visionary work. Its execution, including drone shots set to blazing red filters and wayward fragmented narrative, showed an energy shared by little else at the festival. Corny but true, the wildest, youngest film in the lineup was made by an 84-year-old director up for anything. With EO making its U.S. premiere at this year's New York Film Festival, we sat down over Zoom with Skolomowski to discuss his radical reimagining of Bresson, a film about a pure-hearted donkey adrift in a cruel world. Though the filmmaker, known for such classics as Walkover, Deep End, Moonlighting, and many others, wasn't able to attend this year's festival in person, he was happy to field our many questions about his latest, a powerfully empathetic work of striking beauty and visual imagination. Oh, and listen to the end to hear about the director's swinging 60s experience living in a flat above Jimi Hendrix. Welcome today. We have a very special guest uh, beaming in from Oxfordshire, the great filmmaker Jerzy Skolomowski. We kind of wanted to start off with a question about where the idea for this movie about a donkey came from. I think, you know, there's obvious the elephant in the room, the donkey in the room is uh, Al-Hassar Balthazar, the Robert Bresson film. And I wanted to know how much was that film an inspiration for EO? And as you were working through that inspiration, how did you twist it? How did you turn it into this very contemporary, very modern story? I have seen Robert Bresson very soon after it was made. Somewhere towards the end of the year 1966, I was in Paris being invited to give the interview to Cahiers de Cinéma because they were publishing the list of the best films of that year, 1996. 66. 1966, correct. So, of course, I wanted to know what is the list before it was published. First of all, they told me that my walkover is on the second place. So, of course, I was very pleased, rather sur- surprised, really. But uh, immediately I wanted to know who is on the first place. And they called me, it's Robert Bresson's or Azar Baltazar. So before I supposed to give the interview, I said, I would like to see O Azar Baltazar. So that was the reason I've seen it that early. And I must say, I like Robert Bresson's film very much. It's really, it's a masterpiece. It's a completely different movie of what uh, I was making those days. Uh, So uh, the biggest effect on me, this film made was the fact that at the very end of the film, when there is a scene of the donkey dying, I had the tears in my eyes. That was the only time when it happened, never before, never after, 
of course i had this this uh, slightly cynical professional way of looking at the film uh normally i don't let myself being taken by emotions but because i was always looking how was it done how was, how did he achieve this or that you know and and of course uh, it's not it's not the right right uh, attitude to to be emotionally in, in, involved in the film and you were in your you were in your 20s then is that i was in my late 20s yes and robert bresson managed to reduce me to the <laughs> little normal viewer normal spectator and i was really surprised by my own tears and that was a big big lesson robert bresson taught me and the lesson was that the animal character can move the audience stronger than any any human ca characters who, per who perform some big drama or even his own death. But we tend to somehow uh, somehow subconsciously some subconsciously uh, keep in mind that it's being an act that of course those are the actors who are not really dying but uh, minutes later they would drink coffee and 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 talk uh, with their colleagues uh, but we believe in the death of of uh, of the animal that was so strange you see that that uh, because animals don't know that they act they don't have any any conscious or of, of of what's going on and and how that's going to be used so uh, thanks to robert bresson i i learned that big lesson and when we that means myself and my co-writer and co-producer and also wife eva piaskowska when we were thinking about the next project we were taking under consideration the fact that we are terribly bored with the linear narration and that our next next film will not be a story told you know in the in the usual way you know of presenting one character presenting the other character then observing how those characters would meet what would be their first reaction to each other what would happen next how they would get to, to together how happy or unhappy they would be how they would part would long for each other etc we didn't want to go into such a story we already made an effort with our previous film called 11 minutes uh, 
Unfortunately, I did not succeed what I wanted. That was only one step into that direction to go away from the uh, from the from that uh, linear nar narration. But thinking about that, the other type of story, the other type of narrating it. We, we we find out that perhaps if we use the animal character, that could help. Uh, and of course, because the dialogue will be eliminated and 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 because we would have to, in exchange for the dialogue, give something else. Uh, so we said, okay, let's definitely have an animal in our next pro project and we were looking for some 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 animal then obvious choices we immediately declined no dogs no cats because there were too many films about those animals so we were desperately looking for another type of animal I have kind of a maybe basic question before we dig into some of the aspects you brought up, but uh, what was the thinking behind the title, EO? I, I think it's it's a really, um, you know, fun uh, title that I remember even when your film was at Cannes, uh, you know, everyone was kind of debating about how it should be pronounced, like... Is it supposed to sound like the sound a donkey makes? Um, you know, and there were also these interesting questions about you know how um, different cultures and languages sometimes have different words for sounds, and people were debating about w whether in English it would be eo, whether you know in Polish it's like that, in French it's like that. So I'm very curious about the thinking behind the title. Yes, you are right. It is it is kind of onomatopoeia of a of a of a donkey sound. The, the, the whoever tries to imitate that the other night i had a dinner with jamie irons and and we were talking about that and i was pr pr producing my version of yo yo and suddenly <laughs> jeremy tried to bray and he sounded completely different and very much like donkey <laughs> so he was much better donkey than, than than I was, but the idea is the same. Yes, it's kind of sound which we could uh, identify with the with the donkey's bray. It's a much better title than hee ha, which would be the American version, I think. No, but the po isn't the Polish version hee ha? Is that no, no. Or, or the French version, sorry, sorry, oh, I meant the French I version was he French, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. They, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, because I remember seeing it in the subtitles at Cannes that it was he -han. That's what triggered this whole debate about oh. what the film's title is supposed to be, yeah. You mentioned this, but I wanted to ask about uh, working with uh, your partner, Eva, on this film, but also on the previous four, uh, three films that you've made together. How did you began to work together as a writing partnership and then how did you, how do you how did you work specifically on this film like how did you approach the the process of writing the screenplay here 
Well, it took us about 20 years of marriage before we started to write to, to, to together. Obviously, I, I was, I was uh, uh, already very much involved in making the films and writing the films. Uh, Eva was at that time a student of film in uh, UCLA. But of course, in one of her courses, there was also uh, writing a scene or something. So she already tried herself, uh, you know, doing this. And when I had seen it, I said that that is quite well written. And it naturally came that, that we start to work to, to, to together. But obviously, before anything is written, there is a kind of brainstorm on what it is all about, what, which way the story could de develop it. And uh, once it is decided, uh, Eva takes a difficult task of the, putting the first words on the paper, then it comes to to me, I made the corrections, additions, uh, some things are uh, changed completely, and then it is returned to Eva. And we have those several rounds between the two of us when the when the when the scene or several scenes, you know, going back and forth. And the same process was with with Io, but it was strange process because it happened that we had to write the script backwards. Had the final scene, which we witness actually the final scene by chance, spending winter in Sicily, we came across an event called in, in Italian Presepe Vivente, which is the native, the, the manger, manger performed, by, performed by, by, by human beings, you know, so it's on a big, big scale with several, several hundreds of people. You mean like the Christmas, uh, a Christmas performance, yeah. It's a, and they, they perform it every every Christmas, and because uh, the whole population of a village called Kustonaci of about two thousand occupants uh, takes place, so it's on an enormous scale, <clears throat> and they are performing a show of life in the ancient centuries. They have some very old costumes. They have the old tools and and uh, and props, and they perform how it was one hundred years ago or three hundred years ago. Oh, who knows what 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 is it? It's all mixed up, but it looks exactly the same as our as as it as it looks in our times. 
they do exactly the same things. You know, they are they are squeezing the grapes for wine. They are baking the pizza. They are they are they are squeezing the olives for the virgin oil, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And there are some private uh, enterprises. You know, the the barber is shaving the beard, uh, but of course with an old uh, equipment. How is uh, razor? You know the the, the straight razor, right? Yes, the straight razor. Yerji, remember we're on a podcast, so you can't act things out. <laughs> so, uh, but eventually, when you walk along the alleys and and you see uh, episode after episode of of the ancient life, at the very end, you're reaching the barn. And you already hear from the bar incredible noise of animals. Once you enter, you see like a several dozens of different kinds of animals on the floor. There are chickens and geese and, you know, scrapping the floor, looking for some seeds. <clears throat> and uh, behind them, there are pigs and sheep and further further back are the cows and the bull and it's an incredible noise because they are they are they are making their sounds at the same time like maybe even agitating each other to, to make more and more noise and commotion and in the middle of that stands the saint joseph maria next to him holding the baby but uh, the animals are really much more prominent and much more agitated and active some chicken flies suddenly over over saint joseph's head lands on the other side of the barn and there when i was following the chicken with my eyes i spot standing alone completely isolated donkey, motionless, speechless, with a wide open eyes, observing what's going on there on that scene. And the expression of his big eyes, you know, kind of melancholic look, very calm, withdrawn, but definitely observing it. So he was present in the in the in the whole scene but on a distance and somehow isolated and the expression of his eyes were something like a comment on what he sees you know like being being almost like an alien from the other world you know looking what's going on here and instinctively we look at each other with Eva and we thought this is the animal. This is the animal which can hold 90 minutes of the future film by this expression of eyes and by the fact that he would be commenting whatever situation he would find himself in, you know, cutting to his eyes and then to his point of view and seeing the things will will 
automatically become a comments on what she sees. This is why we have so many points of view of the donkey in this film, because that become a pattern. You know, whatever. Whenever I arrange the scene, I shot like a master shot objective. Who is where, doing what, and then then I concentrate. It was the next shot. I concentrate on donkey. So I have the single of of uh, of the animal. Then I shot very close on his mag to get to his eyes. And then the most important shot was always point of view of the donkeys. And what surprised me already looking at the material on the monitor while shooting is that the same scene which I shot objectively with the master shot now being, being seen as a point of view of the donkey somehow looks different you know maybe because of camera was picking up some details or or or, or the slow move or you know some kind of withdrawnness of it so that was something i i instinctively knew okay this is the part and how the whole film has to be shot it's the objective then the animal and his look at it, and that makes the comments. I was curious about the, you know, what you're calling the master shot or the objective shot, uh, that we have all these point of view shots and close-ups of the donkey, but we have a lot of aerial shots too, and some of them are really beautiful. What, you know, one might call the bird's eye view or the god's eye view. Why, why did you want to use that? Uh, vision so much in this film it was already written in the script the fact that we want to have as many as possible points of view of all the animals uh, which will be seen in the film because after all this is the film about animals our general idea was that this film should defend the animal's world should make at least some people make aware of the of the human beings treatment of the animals which it's not gentle all the time sometimes it goes to to abuse or sometimes it goes even further into into a kind of barbarian actions like uh, you know, I have in mind this industrial production of meat. We all know on what conditions are those animals kept. You know, it's a barbarian, it's a macabre. And we, we accept it by the fact that we consume meat. By the way, we manage with Eva to cut our meat consumption by solid two thirds. And some of my crew members during the shooting stop eating meat completely. So it makes an effect on people, such an appeal. And I hope that at least part of the, of the audience of EO would get that message, eventually reduce the consumption of meat perhaps even a little bit or as much as they can, 
and that would eventually may lead into seizing those those barbarian acts of uh, industrial meat, meat, meat production. It's one of the most important thing. And this is why we wanted to be as close to the all animals as possible. So we have many, many animals in the film. If you remember that walk through the forest, you have an owl on the bench and the, and the owl looks down at the donkey crossing the water. And, and we are using as many as possible animals' points of view. So that aerial shot, which you mentioned, is of course, is a, it's, a, it's a bird's point, point, point of view. And I was hoping that maybe the metaphor of that red river on which, on which we fly with the bird eye would somehow be associated by the audience mind with the river of blood, river of animals' blood which human being goes to those poor creatures. You're listening to the Film Comment Podcast. Sign up today for the Film Comment Letter. It's a free weekly digital newsletter featuring original film criticism and writing by Film Comment's editors and brilliant contributors. The letter delivers exclusive features, reviews, interviews, streaming picks, news, and more directly to subscribers' inboxes every Thursday before they're published on filmcomment.com the following Monday. Sign up today at filmcomment.com. It's interesting you describe your working method in such simple terms, master shot and then kind of a point of view shot and a close-ups, but the visual language of this film is so imaginative. The camera is just, uh, you know, every shot seems to contain like some new idea, um, especially this point of view shots. So I, I just wanted to, I wanted to ask a little bit about how you arrived at this kind of understanding of EO's consciousness, what was how how the world looked to him. You have shots, I think early on there's this shot with green lasers tracking the ground that seems to be from his the donkey's point of view. There's another sequence with a robot dog sort of stumbling through a field that are all kind of like poetic evocations of maybe what the donkey is feeling. But um how much of how much of the that language was part of the script and how much of it was something that you came up with um, on set or as you were, as you were shooting the film? Uh, I just wanted to also add that in addition to the very imaginative angles, you also have a lot of colors, you know, there are light lighting, you know, there's, there's red. Um, you play really wonderfully with light in some of these shots. I, I found it, especially the sequences in the woods are gorgeous. So maybe you could speak to that as well. So I was going to say that a good deal of those things were already included in the script. I mentioned all those points of view. You know, the all was written in the script. The the bird's eye was written in the script. And the robot 
of course was also indiscreet, in but we had some we had some improvisation, and especially the way I work with my DOPs. By the way, there were three different D, D, DOPs because of COVID. You know, we we had to stop shooting several times, and all together we shot for twenty six months, having having breaks as long as even as, as, as six months. So it wasn't easy because, you know, the, the crew was decimated by, by, by COVID. And, but uh, having those three different camera, camera people, uh, I encourage each of them to do the most crazy, the most unorthodox sh shooting as possible, you know, uh, to to let the camera do the unimaginable <laughs> things, you know. And, and and DOPs are not that easy to be pushed that way because they are a very responsible people and they want to be accused of unprofessionalism and when you do those so-called crazy things unorthodox things you are risking incredibly that that you know some of the shots may be totally wrong and but the, by but the silly director can use them and then the whole blame is on the dop not on the di di director you know but fortunately, those guys trusted me. They knew that I am not going to use the the unperfect shots. And thank God, I I got that material which I fully use. And this is why the film looks so modern, so young, and and so full full of color. Also, I was. I was pushing for the use of color very, very strong, especially red, because the red is associated with danger, number one, and with blood, number two. And both of those associations were very much on the on the line with what I was trying to to, to tell. I think you're very right that the film looks very modern, and I think that's something a lot of people uh, have commented on and have been really impressed that you've been making films for so many decades now and this film feels very youthful and new and I was just curious if you keep up with contemporary cinema do you watch a lot of recent cinema and do you kind of keep track of what's uh, new and modern to be honest I don't watch very much of cinema um probably because as i mentioned uh, i don't like the <laughs> linear narration <clears throat> it happened many times to me then when i am in a cinema and watching film of that form shortly after beginning i seem to predict what's going to happen and unfortunately most of the time it happens exactly what i what i thought it will so um, no of course there are fortunately there are some great movies which keep surprising me and giving me 
uh, a lot to think about. But generally speaking, the, the most of the film production in years, recent years is very much the same, you know, uh, unfortunately. It's almost uh, industrial production in some way. Yes. <laughs> is there, but I uh, sorry. Is there is there a recent film that you liked, or, or do you remember what was the last new film that you really liked? I don't want to be unfair to to my to my colleagues. You know, <laughs> if I say it was several years ago, right? That wouldn't yeah. be a nice statement. No. Uh, okay. Uh, Understood. <laughs> astute politician. Yes. <laughs> um, you uh, you mentioned linear narrative, and there's something in this this film is nonlinear in many ways, but in some ways it's this picaresque story of kind of an innocent out in the world, and it's this episodic narrative where each where Eo encounters different situations, observes them, participates in them, and then kind of is shuttled off to the next situation, and. Um, you kind of had, did something similar in uh, Essential Killing, uh, another film of yours, where there was this kind of, it wasn't picaresque in the same way, but there was this, um, an isolated figure, an observer, an exile, maybe even really kind of drifting through this landscape. Um, I wanted to ask kind of specifically about uh, a couple of scenes in EO and how you came, where they came from. And I think... First, we wanted to ask about this forest scene early on. We already kind of touched on it and the visual aspects of it. With the fox and the owl. And and it's it's really beautiful because you're, you're, you have these close-ups of you and then this one shot that's like a master shot that you were saying, like from a distance. And um, we see the light change and uh, it's a really gorgeous shot. So, yeah, that scene, and then you want to talk about that scene, then we can talk about another one. Yes, I can comment on it. I have no idea if the lasers are being used while hunting. It was just the pure imagination, the visual imagination. I thought that for a while after, you know, after being in the forest, and I presume it's going to be quite dark, and it was dark, because it's a night in the, in the dark forest. So I thought that some elements of light would be very welcome. So suddenly I I think it was my 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 idea because most of the visual ideas comes from my mind. Being a painter, you know, I have it. I have the obligation to to have the visual I, I, idea. So I thought some element of light. So it, what it could be? What it could be? Well, perhaps the perhaps the hunters would use the lasers, and it would be kind of like this. I did wonder, like, who are these extremely high tech hunters that are using a complex set of lasers to find? A donkey it was quite <laughs> you know i thought of it as the donkey's point of view and sees maybe one or two lasers but in his in the donkey's mind it becomes this like 
mass of color. They were hunting the wolves. So as a result of their hunting, we see the dying wolf. Oh, that's right. They were not hunting for... That's right, because we see the... Spoiler alert, we, yes. we do see the dead uh, dead fox, yeah. The other scene is the is a scene you probably get asked a lot about, but this uh, this vignette with Isabel Huppert and uh, the young Italian man who brings Io to this villa, and this is maybe the a moment that's like the most kind of like novelistic in the movie, where you really see there's this backstory alluded to. How did you guys come up with this, and where does where did this come from, and how did it make its way into this particular film? Well, first of all, we treat all those human stories very uh, limited because we thought, you know, the donkey is the main protagonist. The animals are the are the creatures we want to talk about. So we minimize all those vignettes of the human stories because. I guess having a glimpse or two on the situation between those people who are presently in some of the vignettes, one can really imagine what's going on behind and what is the story behind. And because we wanted to have the cross of the society showing people from the lowest levels of uh, of society to the highest we thought that that uh, perhaps a kind of aristocratic theme of their personal dramas which tend to be blown up in in a normal feature film you know elaborating on them even Every detail is means something. We just gave the minimum, which actually tells almost everything. If you think about it, you you can you can you can find out that this is the story of a of a, a stepmother and and her and her stepson who left the palace at the age of 18 or something, because now after seven years, we know that figure that he comes back after seven years as a <clears throat> as a grown-up person and a priest on the top of that. But we understand that he most likely he ran away because there was a hint of the romance between the young man and his step step stepmother. With those very few lines they are saying, one could imagine the whole set of things. And we thought that this is enough, and we needed uh, we needed uh, somebody of a big name like Isabel because we wanted to to support the film with the big name of somebody who is known for for a proper attitude to, towards an animals <clears throat> in order that the film will not be treated as a, some obscure little movie from eastern country but it is a european 
production. It, it is actually Polish-Italian co-production starring uh, an Italian actor, French actress, many Polish actors. So Isabel's name helped the, you know, the to promote the film and also to 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 underline uh, to give the authority of her support for this for this theme of the animals theme because she's well known for her animal defense uh, actions and i also wanted to ask about the scene featuring the robot i guess it's a robot dog i mean where did you get that robot from? Was it constructed for the film? You know, I've never seen anything like it. Well, actually, it was Eva's idea that we should have a robot based on the Boston Dy Dynamics uh, experiments. Yeah, we, we even tried to get in touch with Boston D Dynamics, but, you know... They never responded. No, we probably wouldn't have enough money, you know, to 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 use their their uh, pieces. They're more expensive than Isabel Huppert. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we didn't even know the price, but but uh, we were afraid that it may be a long process, you know, of negotiating and eventually paying huge money. So we approached the young Polish constructors <laughs> saying, look, made something, you know, of a robot for us, because we have this idea that when donkeys got beaten and we may suspect that he's dying, it should be illustrated somehow, not by the, you know, closing eyes of, of the donkey, but by some action. So this is why the robot falls falls down on the floor. Guess you know. Uh, so that was one one of the ideas behind the robot, and the other one was that what we will do as a human beings if we will not take good care of our animals, but just the vice versa, we may, may we may keep killing them. And eventually the world is left without animals. Would then would then the robots play our beloved animals? So that was the question mark we wanted to see in, in, the, in the audience brain. It was a very surprising scene. I remember watching it and thinking that EO had been resurrected as a robot. <laughs> And I thought that you were, you know, the film was going to become Terminator <laughs> or something like that, like Terminator EO. Uh, it's a really fantastic scene. I wanted to ask, kind of jumping off of that, like, there's a part of this movie that is actually, I think, very optimistic in some ways. And I think it has to do with kind of this faith in the protagonist in EO and this focus on the, and just, as you said, like the shots of his eyes, of the care, of the, don the donkey actor's eyes. This purity of... Yeah, there's a purity there. Yeah. And I wonder if, how you think of this movie. Do you think of it as an optimistic movie, or in some ways? Or do you think of it as a critique, as you've, as you've kind of already talked about? It's definitely a critique of the, of the actual treatment. Mm-hmm of animals by by peop, 
people. The other issue beside this uh, industrial production of meat is the fair farms. You know, the scene with the foxes, which we, should, we still have it legal in, in Poland. I don't know how, how it is in the, in, in the United States. I know that some countries do not allow that that procedure anymore but uh, i understand the production of fur is still going on so they that the, the fur and that the fur animals must be killed so we show that scene and i use only very little of it because if i would use more it may be difficult to watch because we shot it on a real farm and uh, and it's 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 really barbarian it's, it's uh, and this is when eo's kind of take he's pulling a cart down the middle of that in that farm and you see the animals on the side that's yeah, right. that's in cages yes and you know those those foxes their marks it's it's really heartbreaking although yeah the eo gets some vengeance in that scene i think at the end too yes and and i hear that the audience has a full has a full satisfaction of, i think there was a little bit of cheering when that happened when i saw that yes <laughs> yeah you i mean in in a sense that i think kind of going off of what clint was saying it, the film is very much a critique and I think it has this strong bittersweet aspect to it. It's it's very sad in many ways, but you also do make a hero out of Eo. You know, you give him those moments. I wouldn't even call them revenge because he seems so innocent, but uh, maybe resilience, you know, there's a way in which he makes it through the world and it is a hero's journey in a way. Please notice that there is also a lot of sense of humor. You know, there are some funny scenes, yeah. and 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 people people laugh in, in this cinema, which I like very very much. And, and uh, eventually, there is an optimistic issue as a result of the film. If this film would make some people reducing the meat consumption that would be the most optimistic result one could get from this film i wanted to ask kind of a broader question you've you've been making movies for many years you've made them in various countries in various contexts uh i'm kind of curious about you know how your experience of filmmaking has changed you said that you don't like you don't want to make linear films anymore. Um, you know, how about, you know, the process of making films, especially uh, as it has to do with the industry, you know, financing, casting, all of that. Uh, do you still enjoy, enjoy all of that? Do you feel that it's very different from when you were starting out? Of course it changes. Of course, of course, uh, also the fact that, that I am aging, that maybe I don't have... Uh, the strengths I used to have, but uh, yes, the enthusiasm is still there. I, I simply like to. First of all, I like to watch my films on the screen. <laughs> you know, so. Well, that's good. Not everybody says that. 
I've seen EO about five or six times, and uh, of course I know every single frame, but I still watch it with 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 pleasure and with interest. Really, I'm I'm very proud of this film, and I believe it's important film, and the message is very very important, and what makes the difference between this film and my other films is that my attitude I was really emotionally involved in making this film this close contact with animals especially with the donkey whom I really treat, treat like a, like a pet animal I kept spending with with the donkey my my extra time when I could rest or, or, or eat or whatever, I was with, with the animal making this uh, bond between the animal and, and human being. So looking at his eyes, and he was looking straight into my eyes, We both sense that here we are, the two living creatures coexisting somehow. That's a beautiful moment to maybe wrap things up on. Although I would, I I do regret not being able to ask you a lot of questions about living next to Jimi Hendrix and uh, can, the use of can and deep end, which has always been one of the uh, most. powerful sequences in cinema for me when that song hits and uh but you know maybe next time thank you so much for joining us i mean you you asked the question so what was it like living next to Jimi hendrix yeah maybe you <laughs> yeah maybe you can humor us Yerji. it was in london in the late 60s and early 70s the street's name was cornwall gardens and I remember even the number, 73 Cornwall Gardens in Kensington. And I happened to live on the ground floor and he was on the first floor. So I heard a lot of n- n- nice sounds and a lot of noise as well. And a lot of different smells, you know, it was, it was exciting to have such, such a neighbor. Did you know who did you know who he was at the time? Oh no, of course I knew. I was He was already a big star at that time. Of course, and I was very, very much into that scene, you know. Uh, yes. It was swinging London of uh, after all, you know, and I was a part of it. But unfortunately, the last image is very sad because the last image I've seen was the coffin being taken, you know, out of the out of the building and being put into uh, into that black car, and there was gone. But we shared the we shared the the, the garden because you know those London uh, streets where where you have between one row and the other row of the houses was a common garden everybody's got the key and could enter it so i 
I kept meeting him over there, never exchanged a word, but he, he was really exciting to look at, you know, the body language. Yeah, he was like in, somehow, I don't know, a foot above the ground. <laughs> right, right. You were just coexisting. Yeah, kind of an exile as well in, in his way. Well, okay, I'm sorry. What are, are you and Ava working on something? You know, you made, this film came after, what, seven years. So I'm very curious if, if it has motivated you to move on to a new project. No. Okay. I guess we are still so much, you know, with the donkey in our heads. And I feel like I'm still making it, although this is not the really creative part of the of the process, but it's still it's still in my head, you know. I, I have dreams about donkey. Can you imagine? Wow. Yeah. And I miss that animal very, very much. They are so sweet and gentle and you know pleasant to be with, really. I think the powerful ending of this film is kind of uh, a summary to the story for sure. It's yeah. good. And what a music, huh? What a phenomenal music. Yeah, yeah. It's beautiful. Yes. The whole film. Yes. Yeah. You know that Pavel Mikietin is a classical composer. Mm -hmm. His symphonies are being played in many philharmonies in all around the world. And by working for the film music in a way for him is a little bit stepping down from his class, you know, of his class of classical composure, I mean. Uh, but uh, Pavel is unbelievable. He was, uh, you know, his music is almost an inner monologue of, uh, of a donkey. He expresses as much of the feelings of the donkey as as the donkey's eyes. So that's that was incredible help for me to work work with with Pavel Miketin. Yeah, the music is really powerful and really does add something. It's great to think about all the different human minds and human art forms that kind of go towards creating the consciousness of this one donkey and make it so consistent across the whole film. Thank you so much for joining us. And, yeah. and uh, I hope, I hope you're able to make the trip to New York at some point for the film's release. Maybe I was looking forward so much that when the when the decision was made that I am not going on that trip, I was I was terribly upset, terribly upset. But but your film is here, and that's what's important. So your film is traveling everywhere, and people are loving it. So I'm sure we'll see you soon enough. Let's hope so. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Yuji. The Film Comment Podcast features original music by Greg Einge. Film Comment is a publication of film at Lincoln Center. Since 1962, 
Film Comment has been the home of independent film journalism, publishing in-depth interviews, critical analysis, and feature coverage of mainstream, art house, and avant-garde filmmaking from around the world. Visit us online at filmcomment.com.